Welcome to another edition of The War Room here on KOKC Radio. I'm your host, Sean Fry. Today's guest is the man of the hour this fall season in, in the town of Parsons. Parsons Vikings football head coach, Jeff Scheibe. Jeff, uh, you had quite a season, uh, a 7-3 and record, getting a 10th week, uh, winning a playoff game for just the second time in over 40 years. Uh, and you... you you advanced this program, I think, beyond what a lot of people were expecting this year, especially coming off a three-win season. Uh, to go from three to seven is quite the leap. There's a lot we can dissect about how you guys progressed. What was maybe an overriding trend that allowed you guys to go from three wins to seven wins to, to you know, and winning a playoff game? I think the biggest thing with us this year was believing. And uh, it our kids put in a lot of time and effort not only in the weight room, but perfecting their craft on the on the football field. And our our kids believe that they could go out there and win. And when you can believe, uh, a lot of things can happen. And uh, there there was a a lot of people didn't expect to, to us to do what we did this year. And for us to go out and win seven wins or get you know finish seven and three was. Uh, a credit to our kids and not only our kids but our 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 coaching staff not me but in particular my assistant coaches they work so hard in what they do and they don't get enough credit so you know we're we're building something and everybody is all in and when 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 things like that happen good things will uh be possible so if we can continue that trend, good things are on the rise for Parsons football. There's a lot I want to talk about about your season, but there was one thing of note in particular that has stuck with me, really, as we're now in the winter sports, really, and it's the week four loss to Galena, which dropped you guys to two and two on the year. Uh, and, and you know, we can talk a lot about how that game unfolded, but what stuck with me, and I've talked on Ray about this with other guests, is. Just how emotionally devastated you in per, you in particular seemed to be after that loss, which came on the last play of the game, uh, you know, a very close, exciting game, uh, and going to wins it on the last play. I'm doing my post game interview with you after the game uh, for the newspaper, and you just seemed, I mean, it, it, it you seemed very dejected. You seemed very heartbroken by what it by what had happened and obviously Galena is a team that is very well respected and considered a power in this area and for Parsons to go toe-to-toe with them was progress in and of itself and you recognize that in post game but you know I think back to the times that I've interviewed coaches that were particularly heartbreaking I think the most heartbroken coach I ever interviewed was Anthony Houck after a loss to Piper in the first round of the state tournament uh, in boys basketball uh, he's the head coach of Parsons Boys Basketball. And a lot of people are going to say after that game and with how the state tournament unfolded that year, that that was the state championship game right there. Piper did end up winning the state title that year. And interviewing Anthony Houck after that game, he was very devastated, had trouble finding his words. That was a state tournament game that came down to the wire where your season ended. I draw that same comparison to you. That was week four. That was week four. You had a ton of season left. Take me through maybe what you were feeling after that game because I think in hindsight that may have been the turning point. 
Well, before I get to that, let's talk about what you just mentioned. Coach Houck there with Casey Piper. I was probably feeling the same way that Coach Houck felt driving home from Salina that night. And mm -hmm. I felt like Parsons wins that game. They're winning the state title. And yes, I, and that's I, my and opinion I, too. And I really have no doubt about it. <clears throat> and my wife was with me. And it was a long ride home. And not a word, not a whole lot of words spoken because I was so heartbroken, so devastated for those kids, for Coach Houck, for the entire coaching staff, and it hurt. You were an assistant at the time with Parsons football. You were here. Yeah, I was here. Mm -hmm. I was here. I was in. I was in the school, but I hurt for those kids. And you know, let's get let's get back to the Galena game. And I was, I was devastated. And it hurt because all week long, the message was signature win. Let's get that. Let's make a statement. Let's prove to the rest of, you know, this side of the state of Kansas that Parsons football is back and Parsons football is for real. And we had that moment in front of us and we felt like it slipped away. And I think the biggest, you know, thing that we can take away from that game was our kids became a little bit more hungry and I give a huge shout out to our assistant coach Emilio Aida he had a brilliant idea we wanted to uh, we didn't want to make the, the the film session brutal for our kids they were already hurting enough and instead of you know us drilling the kids the next morning, we let them learn from their mistakes a little bit. But what we did is we had a breakfast. We had, uh, you know, daylight donuts, orange juice, chocolate milk, all that thing. After we ran, you know, a, a couple laps around the track at Parsons High School to relieve some of that soreness. But what we did is we did not watch film. And every single football game, we, we show up on Saturday morning and our kids are ready to roll to watch the, 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 the film from the night before. That next morning, we did not watch film. We understood that our kids were already hurting and we needed to get through that week. And it was, it was good for our kids to get there, eat a little breakfast. And, you know, by the time they were done, we were laughing, we were joking, and we were ready to roll for Baxter Springs. So I think that was a that was the biggest thing was overcoming that adversity that we faced the night before. It wasn't going to do any good for us to show up and, and, and chew butts and, and rip kids up and down for, for the mistakes we made the night before. Because we all knew that we beat ourselves the night before. So it didn't do any good to uh, reinforce that the next morning. So we moved on. We moved on to Baxter Springs. And we went from uh, September 24th to... The Girard game without losing a football game, and I think that was a uh, that was a that was a big deal. That that next morning, how we approach how we approach the situation and and how we move forward, and I give a big shout out to Coach Ida for that. Uh, to me, that takes. I, I think some coaches fall into the pitfalls, and it happens at all levels. Some coaches fall into the pitfalls of over course correcting over game planning, over coaching, 
And I think it takes a certain amount of it takes knowing your team for sure. It takes really knowing what your kids needed at that point to say we're not going to watch film because it goes against most coaches' instincts, I feel like. I mean, that had to have been a hard choice for you to make to say we're not going to watch film. Very tough for me. I mean, because personally, I'm always, how do we get better? You know, let's let's correct our mistakes from last night. But at the end of the day, you also got to take a step back and realize what the kids are going through. And that's one of the things that I do as a coach is, is I coach those kids how I would like to be coached. Mm-hmm. And... And, and I try to relate to the kids. How are they feeling? Those kids do not want to go back there and see Tyler Little catching a pass with one second remaining to win the football game. What they want to do is move on. What can we do to beat Baxter Springs? And that's exactly what we did that next morning. Our kid, By the time our kids left Saturday morning at 10 a.m., they were jubilant and they were ready for practice on Monday. And it... And I thought that was a, a key part in our season because at that point we're two and two, and a lot of things could happen. We could either fold, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, beat a a beat up Baxter Springs team, go three and two. But we also had Caney Valley, Columbus on the schedule r- remaining right after that. So we, our season could go a, a lot of uh, a lot of ways, and how we responded that next morning I think was critical in in, in the rest of our year. You know. And I think that, you know, talking about this approach to film, too, I, I remember my freshman year at K-State working under Frank Martin as a student manager. Brad Underwood was on the staff. He's now the head coach at Illinois, I believe. He was at Stephen F. Austin when they made their big run in the tournament, uh, and he was at Oklahoma State for a little while. But uh, when uh, one year, my freshman year, we started the year ranked number three in the country. We had made the Elite Eight the year prior, my senior year at high school. And brought a lot of those pieces back. So we started the year ranked number three in the country. Won our first two games. We beat a ranked Virginia Tech team at home. But then we, we struggled for about a good month and a half of the season into Big 12 play. And we just couldn't quite get out of the slump. And Brad Underwood had the idea of, let's put the Virginia Tech game on tape. Because we beat them by like close to 30. And, and let's just point out everything good we did. Not point out a single bad thing we did. And that turned around our season almost I, – I, I remember that point in the year, turning around our season, and we ended up making the tournament. Uh, when he had game in the NCAA tournament, we had a top four finish in the Big 12 that year. And, you know, and you know, obviously every coach is going to be – have different approaches to film. I think, uh, you know, in addition to overcoaching, coaches are going to fall into the pitfall of – only pointing out what you need to fix on film. Sometimes a kid needs to hear or a player needs to hear, hey, good job on this play, let's watch it. Yeah. And you know, that way that and that way your player is gonna you know all your teammates are watching you do something good. It makes you feel good about yourself. And the the second one is the other pitfall of you know just not being positive enough is you've got to be willing to not just let the kid feel good, but show your team yet yeah, show your team as a whole what they're capable of. And I'm I'm sure you, you could go but you can go back and look at a lot of film this year for you guys and say, hey, this is what we're capable of. And I'm sure they saw that. Yeah, and, and I mean to to your point, in my opinion, Brad Underwood should be coaching the K State Wildcats right now. And I, <laughs> hey. You're hitting something personal here because I, I 
because I worked with Bruce Weber for two years. He paid for my school. He's a good man, and I feel like a good coach. I do. I agree with Brad that. Underwood's a good coach, too, though. He On that coaching yeah. staff under Frank Martin, outside of Frank, Brad was the one that embraced me the most when I got there to college. Oh, Brett, seriously, if, if, if Bruce Weber is not and, – and I like Bruce Weber. I think Bruce <laughs> Weber is a great coach. But I feel like Bruce – or Brad Underwood could take that program, you know – where they're competing with KU for Big 12 titles, where they're competing with Iowa State, or, or whoever is at the top of the Big 12 at that moment. But Brad Underwood, I feel like, is the guy that maybe got away from K-State. There's a lot get. of fans that think that. There's a lot of people that think that. And they're not wrong, per se. There's a lot that went on behind the scenes on that. It's not, and It really doesn't have anything to do with Brad Underwood. It wasn't a... I don't want to spill dirty laundry. It certainly was not a clean exit when Frank Martin left K-State to go to South Carolina. It was not a clean break. There there was tension there with the athletic director at the time and, you know, the coaching staff. And there was tension between the players and the coaching staff. And and then there was tension between the AD and the players. That was separate all that. It was kind of an evil triangle going on a little bit. And so while it, it was just difficult for... I think a lot of people, and right or wrong, the AD wanted to take the approach of let's just have a completely clean slate yeah. and start over. And that approach in the acute probably kept the program competitive. Bruce Weber's first year, my junior year at K-State, we won a Big 12 that year. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a... Bruce Weber's uh, a good coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, go, you, you go back to your point as far as Underwood when he was an assistant. I think a lot of sports is mindset. Yeah. And what we did that week was we cleaned the slate mm-hmm. and allow our kids to think differently rather than jump on on top of them and tell them everything they did wrong and reasons why we didn't win this football game. They'd have shut down, I feel like, if you did that. They'd have, exactly. They don't win yeah. by one over Columbus. If- they, our kids were defeated. They wanted to win that Galena game so bad. They gave everything they had that that night, mm-hmm. and our coaches saw it. And why would we return the next morning and tell them everything they did wrong? It's, it just wasn't. It was a it was a brilliant idea by by Coach Ida, and um, I, I credit him to our success this year simply because of that idea. And I thought that changed our season around. Our our kids were were so excited to you know eat some daylight donuts and drink some chocolate milk and orange juice and uh, forget about what happened you know literally twelve hours before and it allowed our kids to move on and I think without that day our season goes maybe slightly a little bit different you never know what happens but after that game our kids came came together mm-hmm. and we all talked about we're not losing again. And uh, one of the things we always talked about was we're not losing again. And we're going to see Andale in the state championship game. That's what our kids talked about at practice. Mm-hmm. We're going to see Andale in the state championship game. Because they all know Andale's going to be there from the west side. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, we're from the east side. And I love that. Because, you know, previous teams at Parsons are not ever talking about winning playoff games. They're not talking about winning, uh, you know, meeting somebody in the state championship game. Our kids know who the best team in the in, in 3A was at that period. It was Andel. And we were talking about meeting Andel in the state championship game. And I love that. And uh, I love this team. 
I love the, uh, our coaches. And if we can continue to build upon the success we had this year, good things are going to happen. I want to talk about how you're going to build upon that, but we got to go to a quick break. You want to stick with me, Coach? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll be right back here on the War Room here on KOKC Radio. Don't go anywhere. We're back here on the War Room here on KOKC Radio. I'm your host, Sean Fry, Jeff Scheibe, Parsons High School Vikings football coach, this week's guest, uh, talking about the turnaround season you guys had. Uh, Jeff, we talked about some of the turning points that you guys had, and we t- and obviously what Parsons accomplished this year, the f- second team in over 40 years to win a playoff game, and it, it is quite the uh, turnaround that Parsons had. That first team that won a playoff game in over 40 years was just a couple seasons ago, though, in 2018. The memory is fresh from a team that made a playoff run, but then you guys immediately go to two and three win seasons. What lessons did you learn after that 2018 season? Obviously, you were an assistant for that first, that second year, that 2019 season. Then your first year was uh, 2020. Uh, what did you learn after that 2018 season? Obviously, a lot of seniors departed from that team. But what did you learn to try and make what just happened this year more sustainable, more replicate, easy, easier to replicate? Not easier, but able to replicate what you just did this year. Well, I mean, a couple things. Pro- pro- programs are built in the off season, and you know, one thing is injuries. That year we were we were coming off a great year, and we had a couple guys, Anthony Posier, and then obviously DeQuan Johnson. Whenever you don't have Daquan Johnson, you're going to lose a couple games right off the top. He'd have been worth at least two wins. I think year. I think he's worth two wins, and <clears throat> that hurt. Um, Daquan brings a different element to the game. Everybody knows. And whenever we lost Daquan, there was a huge punch to the gut that everybody had to face. And I don't know if we ever got over that punch to the gut. Secondly, programs are built through the weight room and like I said in the off season. So I've I was I was not a part of that before. Now I, I'm actually um, able to have the opportunity to be in the weight room with our kids in the off season, see everything through, see who our kids are that are that are putting in that time, that effort, and getting bigger, stronger, faster in the off season. And I love that. And um, that's something that I feel like is vitally important for a school our size is we got to have our kids grinding in the off season. And you hear it all the time. Football games are one of the off season, yada, yada, yada. To an extent, it is very true. However, you have to keep your kids grinding for um, not only in the off season, but whenever you have the opportunity to coach them up, that is important. So it's being able to see their face, being able to build a relationship with them is something that is, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's one of those deals where uh, you, you don't understand how important it is until you get in that opportunity. So having that chance, having to see our kids' faces every day, building a relationship with them. And what it means is, is is when you get into intense moments in August, September, October, November, on the football field, they can trust you. And 
building that relationship with them before August, September, October, November is vitally important. And them putting in the effort, the time in that time frame is important. So I think that's when, when people say, hey, football games are won in the off season. That's what they're talking about. Build those relationships with those kids. Get them to work hard for you as a head coach and for your assistant coaches. So that's what I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, was one of the biggest things that we, we accomplished, you know, in a, in a short time frame here at Parsons. Uh, looking at the season, you know, like I said, you accelerated, I think, the timeline of what a resurgent Parsons Vikings can look like. But now that keeps the bar high, and not only do you want to replicate it, you want to keep progressing. Next year is not going to get any easier. Losing, you're going from a six-team district to a five-team district. You're losing Cherryville and Caney Valley out of your district, two teams you beat. And no, no offense to the listeners in Cherryville. There's a couple other coaches who have been on the show, all friends of the show. But Cherryville, Cherryville was not a 3A school. They had about 20 kids out. They need to be in Class 2A. And with some reshuffling of some numbers, with the introduction of six-man football, Cherryville is going to be a Class 2A school uh, next year. But you're losing Caney Valley out of the district as well. And in comes back front and neck, a team that is going to play for a state title in Class 3A uh, You know, here this week. Uh, this Thanksgiving week, they're going to play for a state championship. And... You know, a, a district that includes Frontenac, uh, Galena, Columbus, you guys, and Baxter Springs, that is not an easy district. And it, it, it how do you – and you, you saw what happened in the Girard game. The Girard game was a game that, you know, Girard pulled away in the second quarter and you never really kind of chipped back into it. Where are the gaps that you see between yourselves and the Gerards and Frontenacs of the world? And how do you make up, continue to chip away at those deficits? Because now that's the conversation we got to have. It's not how do you have a winning season. It's how do you get to week 11, week 12? Well, I think first off, let's look at, you know, our current district from this year. It's how, how do you compare yourself to Galena? And... That was a team that won our district. We were we were the runner-ups. How do you win your district? I think that's got to be goal number one. And if you go back to that football game, we all know we uh, we had a good opportunity to win that football game. We win that football game. We're district champs. Okay. So let's 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 take a step back. Now you add a Frontenac team t- to the district, who is. Uh, <laughs> I got a, I got a, I got a lot of respect for Mark Smith. I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a Mark Smith fanboy. The head coach of Frontenac, yeah. He's a, he's a head coach of Frontenac who, um, I've known for a while, and I, I, I really like Mark Smith. And everything that they're doing at Frontenac right now does not surprise me because of uh, the type of guy that Mark is, and not only the type of guy he is, but what his background is. He. I believe the it's like 54, 55 and 0 in high school football games was what Mark Smith was. He never lost a high school football game, which is absolutely insane. That's crazy. Um, so when you add someone like that to your district schedule, obviously, um, you know, it's uh, no offense to Caney or Cherryville 
it, it adds a different element to your to your district schedule. And we're adding a couple other games to our non-district schedule that makes our our makes it a little bit tougher. So um, it's going to be a challenge, but I feel like if you're not challenging yourself, if you're not challenging your uh, your kids, you're doing all of them a disservice. So we're going to go out and try to play the best teams we possibly can and prepare them for a, a district schedule like Frontenac, Galena, Columbus, where they can put their best foot forward and have a chance to succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got about 40 seconds left. Uh, last thing I'll ask you is uh, you Kate Parsons has produced a Shrine Bowl nominee the last two years. Uh, it was Dariq Williams who didn't get to play in the game because he was injured, and then Tanner Barkas who did play last year. Yeah. Who who are, who are who's the most likely Shrine Bowl candidate for Parsons this year, and do you think they make the cut? I mean, I I mean, you think about it. We were three and six last year, and Tanner made it. So mm-hmm. going seven and three. Winning a playoff football game and getting defeated by an undefeated team at that point gives you a good chance to put somebody as a representative in that football game. And the first two guys, obviously, that come to mind are Isaiah Tyson and Dion Sylvester. Mm-hmm. And Dion, Dion is probably the most likely candidate to make it to the Shrine Bowl because he can play so many different positions and. Let's say he doesn't make the initial cut. Coaches like someone that can play multiple positions. Particularly in the secondary. Exactly. Because Dion can play free safety. He can play slot. He can line up as an outside receiver. He can play special teams. And, you know, anything you think of punt return, kick return, uh, kickoff, that's Dion Sylvester. And so any anyone that can, uh, you know, help a team – that's what Dion is, and then but Isaiah Tyson is is one of the best defenders I believe in the whole state, and he's he's a guy that's a little bit underrated because he's a little bit of a late bloomer, and that's a guy that's put on thirty pounds and gotten very strong in the off season, and he's kind of unknown at this point, but I feel like if if we're talking two three years down the road. We're still talking about Isaiah Tyson playing for someone at a at a college here around Kansas, or um, you know, if he goes JUCO, then he goes on to somewhere else. But I've talked to a few local uh, JUCO coaches who believe that Isaiah Tyson is a D one prospect mm-hmm. because he's he's six two and a half and two hundred thirty pounds, but he has the he has a frame that is going to project to a six three six four. 260 pound defensive end and any anytime you can get someone like that um you know the sky is a limit for someone like that and i isaiah tyson or Dion sylvester are best you know prospects to to get to that stronghold level and i'm happy for those guys what you know whatever they whatever they uh, endure in the next uh, few months I'm so proud of those guys for the way they've led our team um, in this fall. Well, hey, Jeff, thank you for coming on the show. Once again, you, you, you've you become a mainstay. Congratulations on the season that you had. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that'll do it on the War Room here on KOKC Radio. Thanks again to Jeff Scheibe uh, for joining us this week. I'm your host, Sean Fry. Everybody stay safe. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a safe Thanksgiving. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye.